Our scripture reading for today is from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, al that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. Let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is God's word. If you haven't already, let me invite you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 1. Woo woo! Last week, Nathan informed me that the next time that we'll be able to gather, Christmas Day on Sunday and New Year's Day on Sunday, is going to be, because of the leap years, 11 years from now. So who knows what 11 years from now is going to be, what it's going to look like. Only God knows, right? Many are the plans of man, but the, it's the purpose of the Lord that prevails, right? 
The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Amen? Amen. And we've been called to, in light of our, our whole life, not knowing what the future holds, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So as we start a new year, with a new year for our church, a new year for you, I pray that this year would be a new year of growing deeper in trust and faith in Jesus. Amen? That we grow in dependence upon him. And as we begin a new year together, we are beginning a new study through the book of Acts. Acts is the second book in a two-part series written by a guy named Luke. And I am, I am holding back what my dad would always say in our family devotions when he would read Luke. Anytime he came across the word Luke, he would say it in his Darth Vader voice. Luke. Just like that. He couldn't say Luke without saying it like that. It was written by Luke, and this is the second part. So at the very beginning of the first part of the work, in it's the gospel according to Luke, is what we call it now. This is what Luke writes. Luke 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken to compile a narrative of the things that have yet that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also. So maybe here Luke knows, okay, there's been this gospel of Mark that's been circulating. Matthew has also compiled a, a gospel. And Luke wants to put together a gospel, an orderly account. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke wanted to put together a narrative of all the things that Jesus did and taught in his ministry. And then this is how Acts 1 begins. In the first book, O Theophilus, he's talking about Luke. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what is, what is Luke going to be doing in Acts? He's going to be writing about what Jesus continued to do through the apostles. All right, so that's what we're looking at. Jesus the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Luke didn't title his work the title for Acts, what, what throughout church tradition, it's kind of been called Acts of the Apostles. I think a more accurate name is Acts of Jesus and the Spirit, Acts of God. We'll see throughout the narrative of Acts that the, the hero of the book is God. He's the one who's orchestrating, who's, who's guiding by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's sending the apostles. And it's primarily really just two apostles that we're looking at too, is Peter and Paul, but the apostles in the church, they, they didn't view themselves as they're doing the ones doing these acts. It was, they, were view, they viewed themselves as witnesses, as instruments, as being used by God. This is what God tells Ananias in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, talking, to a guy, talking about a guy named Saul. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this guy Saul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So here's what we don't do with instruments. Wow, look at that. You drive by, you see a beautiful custom house. You don't go by and say, wow, a beautiful hammer built that thing. That must have been a really nice table saw they had. Wow. That miter saw, that must have been like a DeWalt Festool. DeWalt's are good, Aaron, right? No? Oh, well, a really nice table saw built that. Here's what we don't do at a concert. Wow, did you see Taylor Swift's guitar on stage? Her guitar played so beautifully. Oh wow, did you see that? I wish I could see Stevie Ray Vaughan in concert. 
Life is Blues. Eric Clapton was playing. Wow. That Fender Stratocaster just shredded those solos. Goodness. Did you see the mic at Kevin Hart's show? I mean, that mic was so funny. We don't do that, do we? Why? Because it's an instrument. The glory, the honor goes to the one who is using the instrument, right? The instrument doesn't cause the sound, the music, the melodies, the joke, the hammers, the table saw, they don't design, they don't build houses. People build houses. People do comedy shows. People sing and play guitars. Paul was an instrument for Jesus. This is what Peter says when he heals a man. Jesus Christ heals you. Not Peter, look at me. So powerful. Wow. I'll just walk by you. My shadow will heal you. Boom. You know what? I'm going to start a, a TV program. And if you just send money to this number, then I promise that you, I will send some healings your way. No. Jesus Christ heals you. Luke records in Acts 19.11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Right? Paul's an instrument. Paul visits James. After greeting them, Paul tells James, one of the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, God is the one who's doing, is at work here. So we're looking at the acts of Jesus in the spirit through acts. Amen? Amen. I'm excited for this. If you can't tell. One, one pastor said the title of the book of Acts could be the acts of the Lord Jesus through the apostles and the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church continues the work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to highlight this and draw this out because as we read and consider and study the book of Acts, I want us to see that these great signs and wonders, these miracles that we see are the works of Jesus. Amen. The ministry of Jesus and the church began in Acts and it continues today. And we're not to read Acts kind of casually being entertained by the story. We are, in fact, to consider ourselves in the story. This ministry that began in Acts is continuing today and we very much have a part to play in it. We're not bystanders. We have been invited into this mission of God, this history of the church, this movement of Jesus that is expanding as it did in Jerusalem and to Samaria and is in the earth, as it does so now throughout the whole world. We are in that movement. All right, you guys with me? Yeah. <laughs> James Hamilton writes this in Acts. Acts is not just a story about the first Christians who lived a long time ago. With a record of the events surrounding them, like all biblical narrative, like the Bible itself, Acts invites us to take part to understand ourselves, our history, our future, our whole worldview in light of this story. We should find in its pages a message that one, challenges our perspectives and values. Two, corrects and shapes our views of God and his work in the world. Three, encourages us to face a world set against the kingdom of Jesus. Four, teaches us the difference between living by faith and by sight. Fifth, motivates us to carry with total confidence the message of the risen king to those around us. Six, instructs us to view and handle suffering through knowledge by faith that suffering is the only way to enter the kingdom. And seven, shows us how to live as those who know the same Jesus who ascended before the apostles will return exactly as they saw him go. We all, after all, are living in an era that began with Acts, the era of the spirit, in which we await for the return of the Lord to bring this part of the story to an end and begin a new world without end. This is Acts. This is what we're looking at. This is my hope and prayer and aim as we study through the book of Acts is that we would be encouraged as a church to live by the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit, 
to put our trust and faith in Jesus, that we would have a deeper sense of the story that we've been invited into, the mission of God that we've been called into, and that we would grow as a witness of Jesus to a watching world. Not necessarily that we'd have the same kind of miracles, wonders, we'd go and start churches, we'd raise the dead, as if the purpose of Acts is to do that, but that we seek to grow in understanding and believing and trusting in the same Jesus who does these kind of miracles. Amen? So, we are studying this morning, Acts 1, a passage that is kind of the calm before the storm, if you will. It's a passage of Jesus giving a promise. The, the apostles are preparing and they're appointing a new apostle. So Jesus comes and he prepares his disciples for the promised Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2, next chapter, next week, boom, things start happening. And the story picks up really quick and the, the, like the Jesus movement just explodes throughout the Roman world and Roman empire. And Luke writes that when Jesus presented himself to the apostles, after they had he chosen, he appeared to them during 40 days and he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And at the end of the gospel, according to Luke, we're told that two guys on that, that Jesus appears to on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says this, or Jesus did this, and Luke records it. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is starting to teach his apostles, his disciples, the scriptures about himself and interpreting them in light of him. That's what he does. Continues in Luke 24, 44 through 49. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then look at this. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name among all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is training his disciples. He's opening their eyes to understand the scriptures rightly, but they need a power. They need new power. And Jesus is saying, hey, Stay in Jerusalem, wait until you're clothed with power. That's how Luke ends and Acts picks up kind of along those same lines in Acts 1. They need a new understanding. They needed a right way to read the scriptures because it's the scriptures that they were going to be proclaiming. So what we see throughout Acts, they're, they're teaching about Jesus from the scriptures, but they need power. And Jesus says, wait, wait until you have this ability to do so. And he says, it's, he's teaching them. Verse three, he appeared to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 40 is a very symbolic number in the Bible. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai as he received the law. The people of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness in preparation to enter the promised land. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, experiencing temptation in preparation for his ministry. So it seems only fitting that Jesus' disciples are, are being prepared 40 days for this new kind of ministry. And I can only imagine, it, it must have taken about that that long to kind of get their bearings. I mean, their friend, Jesus, who they had been with for three years, they thought that was Messiah. Then he dies. It's like, what were we doing? What were we doing these last three years? We thought this guy was the Messiah and he's, he's dead. It's like, they're hopeless. And then three days later, he rises from the dead and he's with them and they're touching him. Can you imagine how disorienting that would be? I've never seen someone rise from the dead. That's not usually what happens. You go to a funeral, you see a dead guy, that guy, you don't see him again, smiling and talking with you. That would be so disorienting to see, here's Jesus now. 
says, 40 days, he's teaching with them about the kingdom of God. <laughs> Imagine all the emotions they must have been going through. Shock, pain, bewilderment, amazement, joy, excitement. I like the way Augustine captured this idea as if he's talking to Jesus. He said, you ascended from before our eyes and we turned back grieving only to find you in our hearts. Jesus tells them, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. And he said, what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Disciples are saying, this is the, this is the promised age of the Spirit. It's coming. So they say in verse six, they ask, they ask Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, is this, is this the great day of the Lord? Is this when you're going to restore Israel and everything's going to be made right? And Jesus, he doesn't rebuke them. And the disciples, I think they're starting to put it together. They know the promises of Ezekiel. They know the promise of Jeremiah. They know this age of the spirit, this is going to be a new time, a new covenant. And the kingdom is going to be restored shortly after. That's what they thought. But Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the seasons that the father has fixed, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, what I want you to focus on now is not when will the end come, but on the fact that you're going to be my witness, that this message of the gospel needs to be shared in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's, he's shifting their focus away from a specific time and day, from speculation, right? Only the Father knows this, to what is the, what is the task that is at hand, and that is the mission of God, that the gospel would go forth to the whole world. Restoration, the, the restoration of the kingdom of Israel begins as the Spirit is poured out and as gospel is preached throughout the world. And Acts 1.8 could be kind of a summary of the whole book. It's very thematic. It's kind of a roadmap which guides and unfolds the rest of the story. So you can see that chapters 1 through 7 of Acts are dealing with the church in Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria are chapters 8 through 12, and chapters 13 through 28 describe the ends of the earth. It's this kind of rippling effect of the gospel as it goes out. And Jesus ascends to heaven. He tells them, you know, you're going to be clothed with power. You're going to be my witness. He ascends to heaven. And then two guys stand there. And it's like the disciples are still kind of, you know, looking up to heaven like, oh my gosh, what is, what is happening? I, I can only imagine, right? And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. In other words, hey, stop looking up. There's work to be done. Go back and be ready, be prepared. There's a mission that's about to be unleashed. And they returned, verse 12, to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, which is a Sabbath day journey away. A Sabbath journey was about half a mile. And they entered, they went to the upper room and they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James and Simon and Judas, the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So there's 11 apostles listed there. There were 12. We know Judas betrayed him and he killed himself. And then Luke kind of records a little side note about how Judas killed himself. And it's kind of gory, right? Stephanie read that. It's like, oh, wow. Uh, the man acquired a field for the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and his bowels gushed out. It's, well, that's graphic. And in the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew records that Judas went and hung himself. And Luke doesn't mention that, but rather that his body just you know, falls and 
It's like, it's everywhere. And these are not contradictory accounts. Just, they simply have a kind of a complementary focus. And it could be that, Ju- that Judas hung himself on a tree that was by a cliff. And over time, that, that branch snapped. Pff, there goes Judas. All of his entrails, you know, just imagine. He hits a rock or something. Or it could be that, that Judas hung himself on the tree and he was there for a while. And has been told bodies that are left out kind of balloon up and just kind of disintegrate. They eventually decomposed and burst open. But it seems that, that Luke is recording this kind of gory warning as a warning to serve not to be an enemy to the mission of God and oppose the, the ministry of Jesus. This is how Peter interprets it, in fact, in, in light of what Judas did. Verse 20, first written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. So Peter is understanding Judas. And then he says, and let another take his office. So Peter is understanding that the Psalms are to say that Judas' death and shame is reward for opposing Jesus. Jesus. Judas Iscariot was an enemy of God. And he's removed from apostleship and there's to be another to take his place. So the, out of the 12 men who had accompanied him, the, the other 11, there's two guys, two men that are put forward, Joseph and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now this event is very similar to something that we see in the Old Testament as recorded in the book of Joshua. Lots were kind of like, you might think about them for us as like dice. Lots were probably painted stones. They were placed in a pot or a basket. They were shaken up. They were poured out. And that would kind of be something that would determine like by chance. So in Joshua, the portions for the 12 tribes of Israel were allotted by, can you guess? Lots, casting lots. So it's like a similar way. It's like a symbolic new allotment of the tribes of Israel is being distributed here through Lots, a symbolic constitution of the church of God, the church that was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Don Carson says like this in his commentary on Acts, replacing Judas restores the original number of apostles and emphasizes the importance of apostolic eyewitness testimony to the events of Jesus' life and resurrection. According to Peter, the replacement is necessary because of the scriptural precedent it is also necessary to restore the number of the 12 tribes of Israel and so identify the apostles with the remnant of the restored Israel. It seems like a symbolic act here because throughout the rest of Acts, as like the apostles are deciding, hey, where should we go and start new churches? We don't see this practice again of casting lots. It's like, okay, should we go plant a church in Ephesus? I don't know, but let's cast lots and see. Ooh, should we go to Antioch? Oh, should we go to Alexandria? Mm, should we go to Galatia? Should we go to Rome? No, what we see throughout the book of Acts is they're, they're in prayer and they're being led and guide, guided by the Spirit. It seems like this casting of lots like in Joshua was a way to show that the appointment of the tribes of Israel and the appointment of the 12th apostle was, by, was chosen by Jesus himself, by God himself. Decisions aren't later made casting lots and the wisdom of the scriptures doesn't say this is a good idea to do. You know, should I get married or not? I don't know, but let me cast lots and see, right? As if it's kind of some sort of magic eight ball. So in our passage today, we have Jesus instructing his disciples with the promise, wait, 
He ordered them not to leave Jerusalem. He told them the promise of the Father is coming, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the disciples returned to Jerusalem. They're all in one accord, Luke tells us, and they're devoting themselves to prayer. Right? So, so there's a promise, there's prayer, and a picking. That's just a nerdy little pastor thing I have to do. All my peace have to stay the same. <clears throat> what do they call that, alliteration? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's a story of preparation for what's to come. What is to come, and we'll see that next week in Acts 2. And while they wait, they are devoted to prayer. But I want to consider for us this morning, as we study Acts 1, what is the call for us as the church? It's not to wait for the Spirit to come. It's not to appoint more apostles, I don't think. But the call remains for the church to be a witness of Jesus to the ends of the earth. The reason that the Christian faith has been passed down over the centuries it spread from Jerusalem to Samaria, to Judea, to the ends of the earth, is because the apostles took the gospel to the nations. They went out, they started churches. I, I have a diagram here up on the screen, which shows a, a kind of based on missionary tradition where the apostles ended up. This is taken from a book, a map from a book called Jerusalem to Irangira. And, and there's, some, there's some in uh, ancient church history where we have Historians placed certain apostles in certain areas, but Eusebius placed Thomas in Parthia. It's modern-day Iran. Mark is to have said to have founded the church in Alexandria. It's in Egypt. Matthew is said to go to the Persian Gulf. Andrew was to the region of Scythia, which is modern-day Ukraine and Russia and Kazakhstan. John went to Ephesus, which would be Turkey today. Thomas is said to go all the way to India, possibly. Bartholomew went into Persia, modern-day Iran. Philip is said to go into Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And other apostles might have gone as far as Spain or the British Isles. So you see, this is what they did. They took the gospel to the ends of the earth, starting in Jerusalem and going out from there. And the church has been called to continue in this line of being a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have received power to bear witness about Jesus to the ends of the earth. This is what happens when we, when we repent and believe. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit gives us the gift of repentance and faith. He opens up our eyes to see the world yeah. truly. The Spirit helps us to understand the scriptures rightly. Yeah. The, the Spirit helps us to obey Jesus, actually to have a heart that wants to, because before the Spirit, we did not have that heart. Yeah, we needed the Spirit. And there's still work to do in obeying this command of Jesus to be his witness to the ends of the earth. According to the Joshua Project, there's about 7.8, 7.9 billion people on the, on the earth. And 3.37 billion people live in, in what's called unreached people groups. There's estimated about 17,000 people groups in the world, and about 7,000 of those people groups are unreached, which they consider any area of less than 2% evangelical. That's an unreached people group, less than 2%. An unreached or leech-reached people group is a people group where there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group with outside assistance. So there's all kinds of mission agencies that have been started to assist in taking the gospel where it, it's unreached. People that have never heard about Jesus, they don't have the scriptures in their language, right? Like the International Mission Board, Frontiers, Pioneers, Ethnos 360, these, these organizations send missionaries 
throughout the world. And I pray, Lord willing, as, as our church grows, as we continue to pray that God would, by his grace, send missionaries out from our church around the world. Amen? Would we be ascending church? In the meantime, as we pray, there is a mission field here. Our Seattle is not unreached in that sense it's under 2% Christian, but it is, I would say, underreached. This is the great mission field in the greater Seattle area in South King County. This is what birthed out the call for Stephanie and I to plant a church in South King County and in Des Moines. It needed to be a, more gospel-centered churches in this area to be planted and multiplied for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. There's a great mission field right in our backyard. You look at the numbers of significant decline of church attendance, and that doesn't equate Christians, right? But significant decline of into baby boomers from Generation X, even more significant decline to my generation, the millennials, even more decline from my generation to my sisters and younger, Gen Z. There's probably students at Mountain Near High School right now that, don't, that haven't heard a clear gospel presentation. The background for the word witness is the law court. To be a witness of Jesus is to testify you're reporting on an event that has happened. For apostles, the, the early disciples, they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They saw it with their eyes. They touched Jesus. For us as a church, we, we, we don't necessarily eyewitness. We're, we're witnesses of the accounts of the eyewitnesses of the Bible, the scriptures. We testify about what God has done and what he's preserved and recorded in the scriptures and the gospel. For us, we are witnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as recorded for us in the holy word of God. So we are witnesses to what God has done in Christ through the power of this Holy Spirit. And in light of Acts 1, we see the promise of the Spirit has come. The foundation of the church has been laid. The word of Jesus has been solidified, the work of the apostles. But the work and the call to be a witness remains for the church to be indwelled with power and to be his witness to the ends of the earth. So we consider Acts 1 for ourselves. We see the command to wait in Jerusalem and the promise of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled. We'll, we'll see that next week. We'll see that the apostles' foundation of the church has been laid. The New Testament has been canonized. We have a kind of recording of the, the work of the apostles. But the call to be a witness to Jesus, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit remains. And that is what I want to press into as we look at the story of Acts and this morning. And whether it's our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, wherever or whoever the Lord might cross in our path, we have been called to be a witness to Jesus. This is not just for the apostles. It's not just for pastors. Like, that's your job, Daniel. That's why we pay you. You're supposed to do the work. We show up and hear the sermon. Whoa, no, no, no. Let's, let's read it. I am to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and we are all called to be witnesses. Say, so, well, I, I'm just not that experienced. I, I don't really know that much of the Bible. I mean, I, I don't really know what, what I could share. One of my favorite stories in, in the Gospels is the blind man that Jesus heals. And the, the religious leaders and authorities are questioning this guy. Like, who, who is he? Like, how did he, how did he heal you? Is this guy a sinner or not? I mean, we know that... The, no one worked on the Sabbath, and this guy, this guy has to be a sinner. And the blind man says this. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. 
It's like, I don't really know that much about how he healed me or who he is, but I do know what I was and now I see. Right, we have that story to tell, don't we? We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be a Christian for a certain amount of time. You've heard people say, oh, I'm just not that outgoing of a person. Like, I, I know Carrie Jester. He can start a conversation with anyone. I, I just, I'm not like that. I'm not an outgoing person. What you're saying is, I don't have the power in myself to be a witness. And you're right. We need to lean and guide and trust in the Holy Spirit. He has empowered us to be his witness. We have a responsibility to share the gospel, and the gospel is news that must be proclaimed. You guys ever heard the, the, uh, the phrase that is a, apparently attributed to St. Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. That's like one of the worst expressions ever. <laughs> the gospel is news. It has to be proclaimed and told. Like you can demonstrate the power of the gospel through your life, but at all times, the gospel must be proclaimed with words. That's what preaching means. Here's what witnesses don't do, right? The judge calls you to be a witness. Maybe you've seen some sort of crime and, and you're called up to, to testify. And the judge asks you, you know, you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, testify. You are a witness of this. What happened? And you say, well, Your Honor, I believe that if you just followed me around, if you just saw my life, you could deduce from my life what the truth is. You know what the judge would say? Pfft. Nope. Can we get actually a witness in here who can tell me something? A witness means to tell the truth, right? That's what a witness is. Sometimes I think we can skirt our responsibility to share with our words because we think, oh, my life is a demonstration of the gospel. And that's it. That's all I need to do. It's relational. Will Metzger in his book, Tell the Truth, writes this, clearly the way we live is the primary aspect of our witness. Yet our life is to be coupled with telling God's truth. People need to be told who makes our lives different. They need to be told. Our lives then will illuminate the truth that we express to non-believers. The gospel, most people claim with our words. Pray as we study Acts that God would give us boldness if this is not a regular practice in our life, to make that a regular practice in our life. One of the best ways I've seen to start gospel conversations is simply to ask questions. Like actually show an interest in someone. At restaurants, we can ask, hey, you know, my friend and I, or my wife and I, we usually pray before our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And just see what happens. Some people say, oh, nope. <laughs> oh, you're spiritual. No, thanks. Like you must be a religious guy. And I love what Carrie Jester says. You know, if, if you're gonna offer to prayer, or you're gonna pray at your restaurant, make sure you leave a good tip. <laughs> I've heard wait waiters and waitresses hate working on Sundays because they get horrible tips. I've heard that. But some of the Christians I know that when we go out, we leave very generous tips. And I'm encouraged when I go to lunch with you guys, we tip well. Let's continue to tip well. That's one of the ways we can do it. How can I be praying for you? Or taking time over the weekend, we, we might mention we went to church. We could ask, do you have any church background or experience? Hey, what do you think about Jesus? Very non-threatening question. And you can see, gauge how they answer that. Maybe next steps in the conversation. There's lots of tools and resources out there. There's lots of books on, on how to share the gospel. But I think the main reason that we don't is because we don't want to. Because our hearts are not in aligned with Jesus' heart. Our hearts are not filled with the same compassion that Jesus has as he looks upon the world and, and weeps at the brokenness 
and the sin that affects their life. We talk about what we love. We know this. And the more our lives are gripped with the gospel of grace and his sheer grace alone, the more that we are, are like overwhelmed, we experience the grace of God in our life, it naturally overflows in our life. The almighty God, the creator of the universe, out of his great love for you, sent his son. That in the gospel, you are far more, you're confronted with the fact that you're super sinful. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're far more sinful and flawed than you ever would like to admit. But in Jesus, you're far more loved and accepted than you could ever imagine. That's the good news of the gospel. The apostles, the early church were witnesses of this truth. They needed power. And you know what they prayed for often throughout Acts? Boldness. Do you know why they needed to pray for boldness? They needed boldness. <laughs> you know what we can do? We can pray for boldness. We need to be filled with the spirit, to be empowered, to be his witness in boldness and in truth and in love. Amen? Power means a possession of a controlling influence. It means capacity with an emphasis on function. If the power goes out and your fridge stops working, it's not because your fridge is broken, right? There's some sort of component that's gone wrong. You got to call the repairman to go. All of a sudden, my fridge is not working. Says, yeah, you don't have any power to it. You don't have the ability to function. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Gives us the ability to do so. The Spirit brings power and work. And throughout Acts, we'll see the Spirit do this. He brings effective witnessing. Amen. The Spirit brings clear gospel proclamation. The Spirit brings power over, of, over sin. The Spirit brings power for victory over Satan and demons. The Spirit brings distribution of gifts to the church. Power in the Greek is, is, is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. It's power. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit Give power. And in John, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to you and he will glorify me. So we want to know what, what does a, a spirit-filled church look like? A church that glorifies Jesus, that focuses on Jesus. The Spirit wants to see Jesus glorified. So let's pray as we consider Acts 1, as we prepare for this study, that we would be empowered by the Spirit to be his witness and and live lives that are pleasing to God, our Father. I didn't want to just take some time to talk about being a witness, to say that we can pray for boldness, to talk about how the apostles in Acts 1 were devoting themselves to prayer and not take some time to pray. And as, we, as we take, as we prepare for what God will teach us in Acts, I wanted to have a time of corporate prayer. And I'd like to, in light of what we see in the story, I'd like to take some time to pray right now, after the sermon, before communion. That, that God would prepare us, what we will learn together, that God will prepare us to be his witness, that we will be empowered and filled with the Spirit to be witnesses in Des Moines, Federal Way, Puyallup, Auburn, Berrien, West Seattle, Tequila, SeaTac, wherever we might live and beyond. Amen? That we would take bold new steps of faith to awaken from the complacency and indifference that can be in our hearts. Amen? We can believe that we can start today in prayer. Right? Jesus established a pattern of prayer in his life, and we see that continued in the life of disciples. So let's pray now. Amen. I'm going to start the time in prayer, and uh, the mic's going to be here on. If, if you'd like to pray, just please come forward, grab the mic, and, and voice a prayer for, for us, for our church, together. Father, as we've looked at Acts 1 this morning, we've seen the promise given to the apostles and the Holy Spirit. 
We've seen the call to be a witness in Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We pray that we consider our lives in light of Jesus' commission to the apostles, that our lineage, our genealogy of faith began as Jesus sent the apostles into the world. Thank you. Thank you that, that there were men and women who were faithful to the call you've given them in their life, that we are in that lineage of faith. Lord, thank you for the, the parents and grandparents and friends and random strangers and pastors who have shared the gospel with us that we have responded in faith and trusted in Jesus. Lord, would you bring people across our path? Would you give us a sensitivity to the spirit to be witnesses, to ask good questions, to be interested in others? Father, I pray as we read Acts that we're, we're reading not simply as a spectator, not just reading about great miracles and sermons and ministry that God did in the early church, how the church grew, how the word of God spread through the Roman empire, but we're reading a story in which we can take part we can live out and continue in the story, the mission of Jesus. What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus in the world? So Father, forgive us for the ways in which our words and deeds don't please you. Forgive us for the ways in which we have been so wrapped up in ourselves, we, we can't even look out and see others. Forgive us for the ways that we don't bring honor to you. We've, we've lived our lives as a functionally, the Lord that we're trying to please is ourself. Or for, help us to, to fear you above all else. Do not fear rejection or being viewed, looked differently because we might be a little more vocal about our faith. I pray that you give us boldness, that you'd help our church and the members of it to be instruments, vehicles for the person and work of Jesus. Father, would you increase our faith, we pray in Jesus' name.